So now I'm going to pray for the message. Lord, thank you so much for this day which you have made. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your power and your presence with us uh, as your people. Uh, Father, I pray that you would please now bless Dana as she's going out. Lord, I pray that you would um, bless the young lady, bless the young man who's helping her. And uh, Lord, we ask you that you would please uh, bless us as we uh, engage your word, Lord. Uh, we ask you that you would please help there to be uh, clarity, Lord God. We ask you that you would please uh, allow this message to move us along um, in our relationship with you. Uh, Lord, we ask you that you would bless Real 360 as well as they uh, do what they're doing, Lord. Would you build them together? And Lord, would you continue to build on the worship that we participated in just moments ago? I pray that you would please do what I cannot do, Lord. You know how you know each one of us intimately in here, and I pray that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 5, um, where <clears throat> it says in the ESV, English Standard Version, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for, see, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it is not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. There is a scheme of the devil that I would like to uh, share that I think the Lord gives us the answer to that scheme. I know the Lord does. The scheme is that we think that all repentance is good repentance. We believe that all repentance is good repentance. But all repentance, as we will see, is not good repentance. 
Paul and his relationship with the Corinthian church can be found in Acts 18. Paul was the one who founded the church in Act, I mean, in, in, in Corinth, excuse me. Um, he spent, according to uh, Acts 18, 11, he, he stayed there for a year and, and a half um, teaching the word of God amongst them. He started off in a synagogue. Um, there, was, there was opposition to him, so he went in a different place, and that's where he basically started taking the message to the Gentiles was at Corinth. That was the place where God had to give him a vision to encourage him to keep encouraged with what God was doing because God wanted him to share the gospel there. But Paul was a bit fearful for in what Acts 16. That's where Paul was stoned in Lystra uh, and left for dead. Um, and eventually he goes to Athens and then he makes his way to uh, to Corinth. So Paul's a little shaken and God gives him a, a vision so that he will not be shaken. And the vision that God gave him, God told him, do not be afraid because I have many people in this city. Those people were yet to be saved, though. But God counted them as his people, despite the reality that they were yet to make a decision for him, for he had loved them right before the foundation of the world and chose them to be in him as he has us. Who have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The, the, Corinth, the church at Corinth and Paul, they kept in contact with one another. For 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen says this, for in the first place when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part. So someone was keeping Paul abreast of what was going on in Corinth as he was traveling the world, sharing the gospel. The church at Corinth would also write to Paul and tell him. They couldn't text, couldn't email, couldn't pick up the phone and call him. I know some people don't know what that's like, but believe me, it used to be like that, right? This was before even phones were on the wall, like when I was coming up, right? And you dialed or you turned, right? Um, this was before all that. So they wrote a letter to Paul to let him know what kinds of things were going on, what kinds of questions they had. So in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And then he goes on and he starts going in on marriage. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians in 4.15. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ or teachers or instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul was their father in the faith. So Paul felt a responsibility for the spiritual maturation of the people in Corinth. While he's in Corinth, he's not just preaching the word of God, but he's teaching them the word of God, showing them what pleases God according to his word and what does not please God according to God's word. So the relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth is very, very important because Paul is going to address some things that are uncomfortable with the church. He's going to address it in a way that we, we, don't, we don't have the letter in which he, he, he regretted that he, he, he didn't regret that he wrote it, but then he did regret that he wrote it. So like a, like a, a parent who may harshly correct a child, 
Well, you want the correction to come so you don't re- you don't regret the correction, but maybe you regret the way you communicated the correction. Paul feels that way about this letter that he writes to them. But he has to write the letter. He has to write the letter because of what he says in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. So we're not writing anything new. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, right? So learning is a process. So Paul's saying, we want you to fully understand what you previously partly understood. This is what you need to understand, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. When we stand before God, there's, uh, there's not a lot of elaboration on exactly what that how that's going to play out, but there's going to be um, some dynamic in which people who were part of a church, who sat in a church and learned in a church, that some way, shape, or form, they're going to be reflective of the pastoral ministry of the leaders in that church. And that on some level, the leaders of the church, because they represent the church, the church is going to be able to boast in them, And the leaders are going to be able to boast or not boast in either direction. But the leaders should be able to boast in the church as well. So just that's important for how we process the words that come next. That that there's a there's a a symbiotic relationship between the, the pastors of a church and the church and the church and the pastors of the church. It should be. It should be, it should be that there's some level of godly boasting that we can do about each other. It should be that. Because if we can do that before Christ, we should, there's a measure in which we should be able to do that today. Right? There's a measure in which we should be able to do that today. So one way that this can happen, one, one way that this could look is that if someone says something about one of our members, hopefully we know our members well enough to be like, well, you know what? That, that doesn't even sound like Billy Bob. We don't have a Billy Bob here, but we're going to say Billy Bob since he's not here. That doesn't even sound like Billy Bob. That doesn't even sound like something he would do. Maybe you misunderstood Billy Bob, or maybe we need to talk to Billy Bob. And hopefully when we talk to Billy Bob, it becomes apparent that, oh, this was a misunderstanding. You misinterpreted or, or, or whatever. But hopefully there's some, some measure of expectation that you have an expectation of your pastors to do certain things for you and to not do certain things that, dis- that dishonor the Lord. Hopefully that's, that's there. See, because as pastorally speaking, this is all from the mind of, of Paul by the Spirit. We're trying to do, Pastor Kurt and I, and whatever elders come along with us or after us, we're trying to, as first, uh, excuse me, Colossians 1.28 says, proclaim Christ and warn everyone, teach everyone with all wisdom. Why do we want to do this? Eternity is in view in all of this that we may present everyone 
mature in Christ. If you're familiar with the Corinthians, there are two, two letters that we have that are to them in Scripture. There's a third one out there somewhere that Paul references as the harsh letter. But the two that we have, even the two that we have, so that the, the church seemed to be a kind of a wild place. There, there were gifts in the church, but people, everybody was doing their thing with their gift. They would, they would even like, they would even like uh, try to outgift one another. They didn't even like have order in the church because everybody was exercising their gift. There were divisions in the church. Well, Pastor Kurt's my favorite preacher. Pastor Mike's my favorite preacher. Tony Evans is my favorite preacher. Somebody else is my favorite. There were divisions. It wasn't about Christ and eternity. It was about the man. In the church, it's supposed to be about one man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the church, there were divisions. Some were of Apollo, some were Paul, some were Peter. And then you had those really spiritual people like, hey, man, I'm of Christ, man. And then you had the sin that was unlike even the, 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 the world, where one of the church members was actually sleeping with his stepmom. For that, they were reprimanded. Right. And, and and it wasn't. This is the thing about church life. Church life is messy life because people are there. Cosmologically speaking, God has us. Christ has us. We could say, I mean, there's, there's a reason why people say once saved, always saved. We believe that he's going to keep us to the end. But church life is messy life and messy life needs correction because God has saved us from mess, not to mess. But whenever you have people, there are going to be issues. My wife was sharing in our, in our marriage group that, that there was a person, uh, I don't, she didn't say anybody's name in case the person's here, so I, she didn't say a name. But she said that someone, because they came from a church where they, they, they thought that having meetings in homes, well, I'm sorry, they thought that having meetings in homes was sin. I know, that's, that's weird sounding, right? Why would having meetings at home be sinful? My wife used some slang that I really didn't know like what she, exactly what she was saying. But the rest of the members of our group seemed to just know what she was saying. So then I thought, okay, I think I know what she's saying. But she said, the reason that in that church they didn't do that because they did used to have home meetings. And in those home meetings, the members were running them up So she didn't tell me what it meant. I thought I knew what it meant. If you're grown, you might know what it means. But since I don't know what it means, exactly, they were run, running amok in house to house. So their leaders were like, no more meetings in homes. So while it's not a sin, if I were one of the pastors at that church, I'd be like, amen, no more meetings in homes. No more meetings in homes. We're going to put this on lock. We're going to stop this. We're not going to engage in this. We we aren't going to allow you to do this. Why? Because it's about eternity. It's not about controlling you. It's about eternity. Right? It's about wisdom. It's about learning and seeing the train coming. 
and you standing on the tracks and trying to make sure that you're off the tracks before the train gets there. There's a relationship between pastors and churches that is like, it's not exactly this way. It can be abused. It can be misused. But there's a dynamic in which it's like children and parents. There is, spiritually speaking. I was never so honored as to someone just recently was like, your spiritual daughter is telling you such and such and such. Now, I don't use those terms because I don't, I'm just very sensitive on getting stuff twisted. So I just, I don't want anybody to think I think of you as a daughter in an inappropriate way or in a way that just allows you to do something or allows me to do something that would demean you or anything like that. So I'm very sensitive to that. But when she said that, it was like, oh, okay, that's good. Because I've corrected this person. I've encouraged this person. I've corrected them. I've corrected them. And I've encouraged them. (laughs) But all of that is part and parcel of what it means to be in spiritual relationship together, leader to church. So Paul, because he's concerned about what's going on in the church at Corinth, he writes them 1 Corinthians where he, re- he rebukes the church in 1 Corinthians because they are not responding to the mess that is going on. Right. So so it's not just that those people are doing that, but it's the church is not even affected by it. They don't even care about it. They good. They think because probably because they maybe because they have gifts. I don't know, because they see some manifestations of God. Maybe they feel like they're OK. But yet, they shouldn't be okay because, as Paul would say, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So when we accept sin in our midst, then it's going to leaven every single thing. So Paul is desirous that there be a true repenting of turning away from when they use the word when we're using the word repent we're not talking about it in the salvifically determined sense in which you like repent and believe at first but we're talking about a forsaking of things that do not honor God okay so because he doesn't in any way call these folks unbelievers but they are jeopardizing themselves they are jeopardizing themselves by not responding. So, so the fact that there's mess in churches should be processed by what the church does with that mess. If the church allows the mess, then the church is, is okay with the mess. If the church doesn't allow and stands up and says, no, we, we can't have this, this is not going to happen here, not on our watch, then... That is God honoring. So we can't control what people do, but we will, we will respond to what people will do. And then on an individual level, we must see as a member, so I'm a member first before I'm a pastor, as a member, as a human being, if I see anything, then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to see that I'm capable. I've said this before. I'm capable of whatever I see. And if I'm capable of whatever I see, then I need to respond to the possibility in a certain way. That's why there's scriptures that talk about like if the if the homeowner knew when the thief would come, he would have did something different. Right. 
Right. So we don't we so so we respond to possibilities. Right. If we if if our goal is salvation. So let's get into the meat, which is verses which are verses eight through. Eleven, where we're going to see that not all repentance is good repentance because good repentance comes from somewhere. But repentance can come meaning like. Change, let's say just just. Change, generic change. That's what we're going to say repentance is. Changing of direction. Verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. So he doesn't regret it because he cares about their soul. Though I did regret it because I care about your feelings. Because I'm a human being. And maybe I don't want anybody talking to me like that. But I care about your soul, so I talk to you like that. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You were grieved into responding to that which did not glorify God. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. People are resilient. Feelings can recover. As long as we know it's coming from a good place and for a good reason. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So there is there are two types of grief which produce a different type of repentance. Because he says in verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance. So there is a kind, there is a repentance. There's a specific repentance that leads to salvation without regret. There are all kinds of of ways to repent or reasons to repent. So someone can repent from smoking because they want to prolong their life. Good job. That's a, that's you're you're cha- you're changing, right? You changed in the direction. You changed your direction. You're like, all right, I'm smoke. I'm not smoking anymore. Someone can 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 choose to um, uh, marry, so that they can not uh, have sex outside of marriage because they have some kind of morality in the back of their mind, and that can be a change of direction. But does getting married? Or, or does over trying to overcome any type of sexual sin, is that solved with marriage? It's not solved with marriage, but someone can appear, right? So they can repent. They can, they, they, they can repent in the generic change of direction Meaning of the word repent. People can watch their tongue, right? Maybe somebody has a sharp tongue. They're used to cutting people up with it. Maybe they watch their tongue with certain people because that person has authority or because, well, they just like the person. But is that necessarily godly? The thing about repentance, changing direction, is that it can look the same. It can look the same. But if the motive isn't right, if it isn't godly, 
Godly is the key word. Godly grief. So if we're grieving because our sin is first and foremost against God and we don't want to displease him or we fear him or a combination of all of many things, but it's toward God, then that is the salvation that leads. That is the repentance, excuse me, that leads to salvation without regret. But there is worldly grief. There are consequences that can come. And if we're only trying to avoid consequences, hey, look, if you got to start with avoiding consequences, start there. I'm going to say that. Start there. But it has to mature to be about God. When we're talking about salvation. Now, if you're talking about prolonging your life, living a clean, healthy, do what you do. But we're in church, so we're talking about salvation. We're talking about being able to stand before God and as, as the, the Psalms passage says, to be able to stand before God who doesn't forget anything and to be able to stand before him because we are in Christ and because we have lived for Christ, because our desire is to please Christ. So it's godly grief that produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death in the spiritual sense. Because worldly grief will have you make changes that you put confidence in, but your, your, your connection is not with God. It's not godly. Godly grief that has that produces repentance that leads to salvation is accompanied by a few characteristics that we find in verses 11 through. In verse 11, not verses 11, verse 11. Right. So first of all, it has a measure of releasing us from the regret. Godly grief realizes that our sin is first and foremost against God. Psalm 51, where David, even though he sinned against many people, um, he says, against you and against you only have I sinned, O God. He's aware of who his sin is against. And because he's aware of who his sin is against, he has an earnestness that this godly grief produces. Now, earnestness is just a feeling of sorrow or remorse for a fault, an act, a loss, a disappointment. And it shows a depth and sincerity of feeling. So it's not just that, 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 that I sinned and I'm like, okay, man, I sinned and I'm going to, I know First John 1, 1, 9, you know, I've sinned, I'm going to confess my sin. And I know God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. That is true. That is true. That is true. But we can't flippantly deal with that passage because this passage exists also. And God's word is not against itself. And so there should be. And if there's not, with, I would say, I, I would, this, these verses I would specifically apply to grievous sins and sins that are just longstanding, that we know we need to overcome, that there should be some measure of earnestness with it, like, Lord, this, I keep doing this. See, this is the thing about worldly sorrow, worldly grief. 
Worldly grief will make excuses for why we keep doing things. It'll, it'll shift the blame on someone else. It'll say the cause was this. But remember, for those of you who are, are long-term members, you would know about the little David Pallison, I think, used the illustration that, you know, what comes out of this, if I were to pour it, comes out because it's inside. Because if this juice weren't inside and it was milk, then milk would come out. Water would come out. So the, 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 the trigger doesn't completely cause. The trigger causes a reaction. What comes out as a reaction, though, is based on what's inside. So if I keep doing the thing and it's coming out, it's not if I go to like the, the ultimate cause, it's not because of the trigger. It's because of me. It's because of what's in me. So if I stub my toe and I cuss, then that's because that's what's in me. If I cuss my, if I cuss my, if I stub my toe and I praise God, it's because that's what's in me. I'm not going to stub my toe and praise God, though. I'm just, that's not, pain is going to be what's in me. So that's what I'm, ah, it's going to happen or, or something like that. I'm not, I don't want to get you to get it twisted. I'm not that, like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not that holy. <laughs> Hopefully I'm holy, but I am not that holy. We're still being sanctified over here. So, so why did I put that way? Why did I put that in the way? That's what's going to happen. So let's say let's use it. Let's use like as you get old. Like I, I leave stuff on the on the on the ground uh, on my floor at home at night. I get up and use the bathroom a few times a night. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know Manny wanted to know that, so he said okay. So, 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 so. So I get up and use the bathroom a couple of times. But sometimes I'm like, okay, like my memory works pretty good even in my sleep. So I'm like, okay, if I leave these shoes right here, I'm, I'm all right. So I might get up and use the bathroom a couple of times. Success with success. But on that third time, <laughs> on that third time, those shoes trip me up. If I keep leaving the shoes there, though, what do I expect? So there's like, there's not a level of earnestness with, <laughs> with even whatever my response is. If I don't change my behavior, if, I don't, if I'm not like, you know what, I know what happened last time, so I'm going to put these shoes where they belong. Nah, right now I'm comfortable. I'm going to leave them shoes right here. I don't feel like bending down. I'm good. I'll remember. I'll re and, and the same thing will happen. There's no real remorse. There's no real sorrow. There's no real, that's not there. Because I didn't fall down and bust my tooth. Or now, now, hopefully I don't have to wait for that. Maybe the Lord's speaking to me right now. Who knows? But, but when it comes to, to repentance and godly sorrow, there's an earnestness with it that has a level of sorrow because I did this thing against the Lord. Godly grief has an earnestness with it. Godly grief has an eagerness to clear oneself. What do I mean by clear? What does it mean by clear oneself? How can you clear yourself of sin? That's a great question. How can someone, anyone, clear themselves from sin? Well, there is one who can take your sin away because he puts it on himself, and that's Jesus Christ. So your sins can be blotted out according to God, right? They can be, you can be, they can be, as the Old Testament says, it can be thrown into the sea. 
and forgotten about. Now, God doesn't forget, but he'll treat you as if you've never as if you've never done the thing. But you have to not only depend on him, come to him, repent, confess. Ask God to forgive you, but then also be like, I'm going to put as much distance as possible between whatever this is and myself, because I'm trying to live for you, God. So would you help me to live for you and eagerness to clear oneself and eagerness to say, this is not who I am. I may have done this, but this isn't who I am. This is not going to define who I am. I'm not going to continue in this because, Lord, you have died on the cross. My sins have been nailed to the cross with you. And so I'm not going to rebuild. I'm not going to take it off the cross and put it back on, Lord. I am going to walk in a new way. So the eagerness to clear oneself is a way to say, you know what? You know how people say they're going to turn over a new leaf or they're going to in a few months say, all right, I'm going to do this resolution. No, before God, it is. Hey, Lord, I want to please you. I want to be ready for when this temptation comes back because I'm not going to be that person anymore. There needs to be an eagerness to clear oneself. There should be an indignation. An indignation. Indignation. What's indignation? Well, indignation is a strong displeasure or something considered unjust, offensive, insulting, or base. Righteous anger. It's another word, another phrase that captures indignation. Man, sometimes you need to be mad at your sin. You need to be like, I don't know if y'all seen Boys in the Hood, but for those who saw it, I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying I saw it. Um, so, so that time where, where, where I think it was uh, Trey got threatened by the police. Then he went over to his girlfriend's house. He didn't say a word. He just got let in and he was like, but why did he do that he was so mad at what happened when the last time you just spiritually was like man God, Lord I'm gonna overcome this I'm about to break everything but when was the last time you was like that when was the last time you were so frustrated with being in the same place that you were like Trey that is indignation like I'm tired of the devil, the flesh, whatever it is, whatever the trigger is. Okay, well, you know what? Next time he comes, something else is going to be inside because the same thing is not going to come out because I'm going to replace that. I'm going to put off some things and put on that which is the opposite, which I think is coming in these messages uh, in this series eventually. There should be an eagerness to clear oneself. There should be an indignation that... Right now, in this flesh, I am tempted by this. I don't like being tempted by this, but you know what? I'm going to harness that indignation so that I am putting on the fruits of the Spirit rather than walking out the works of the flesh. For we see that eagerness, what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you, but, but also not just not just earnestness, excuse me, earnestness, this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear. That's something that we don't, we don't cultivate a lot because our sins are forgiven. Nailed to the cross. I, don't have, I know I'm not going to hell because I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm good. Keep that fear. No. <laughs> 
keep that fear. That's what last week's message was about. Like keep a level of fear of God. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? It's not always, but so, so don't know what God can do. Don't, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who, after he's killed the body, can cast a soul into hell. Kill. Fear that one. Don't ever trifle with the one who can cast the soul into hell. But rather cultivate fear of what could happen if we treat him in a flippant manner. If we are not, if we're like, you know what, I, I, man, God will forgive me. I mean, there's a quote from someone who's not a believer, but, um, but, but, but listen to the mindset. I don't remember the person, but I remember the quote. The quote was, God will forgive me. That's his job. That person doesn't know who God is. That person doesn't fear God at all. That person is going to be very upset. Very, very upset that they ever thought that way. May we not think that way. May we not think God will forgive me. That's his job. No, as I said before, he's the king of kings. He doesn't have to do anything for you or for me. Please, church, please cultivate a fear of God. Yes, believe in the doctrines of grace, believe in all that, but please, please keep a fear of them. Please understand that we're going to, there's going to be scrutiny when we stand before him. And so it would be wise to walk in a manner that, that is fearful of him. And by fearful, I mean that is reverent of him. That's like, like um, I wasn't going to an illustration, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But, but we can reverence God. We can give glory to him for who he is which means that we will submit to him because he's all-powerful and all of the other attributes he has. And we can know that we don't deserve anything from him. And if we're aware that we don't deserve anything from him, but he can do whatever he wants, then there should be an appropriate submission to him. That's what that fear will look like, being appropriately submitted to him. What longing, what zeal, the longing and the zeal to become more like Jesus should, should, should be something that, as JP was talking about during worship, that should be something that we all embrace, that we want to be like our Savior. I know sometimes, I, I, I know, so, so for me, there's, I'm really working, you can pray for me on this, I'm really working on love. Love is what I'm working on. When I say love, I, I don't mean like, uh, you know, being nice to people, I mean, Loving according to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 through uh, 8a. Um, so if I look at, so if I look at, like, if I look at my day and I say, okay, was I irritated today? Remember, love is not, is not irritable. Did I have resentment today? Uh, love is not resentful. Was I rude to anyone today? I'm going to tell you that, yes, there were days last week I could say, yes, I was. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please help me. 
But it's been an off and on kind of thing for years now. I don't think I've always seen it, but I see it now. There's a longing to be like the Lord, though. There's a Lord. <laughs> well, there's indignation, too, because I just squeezed the, the pulpit. Um, but, 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 I, but see, this is the way I think. You don't have to think like this, but I'm serious about my salvation. So I'm like, Lord, what does my, because of what it says about love and what it means if you don't have it, then I'm like, Lord, what is this saying about me that I was resentful today again? Now, I'm not like pulling no guns. I don't have any weapons, so uh, I'm not, I can't pull them out, and I wouldn't because I'm not going to get them. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I had them, so anyway. Um, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not cussing anybody out. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not, if you saw me, you might not even know these things. You might not even know I was resentful. You might not even know I was uh, uh, irritable. You might maybe it'd be like, "Hey, was he such?" You might have a question, but you you could not know unless you know me very well. Then you might be like, "Hey, man, what, what was what was going on?" But you know who knows? I know because I'm asking the Lord to show me, and I'm trying to measure myself by His Word. And this has been 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 around too long, so I have a longing to be more like Jesus in this area. I have a zeal where it's like, okay, Lord, well, maybe I will say, you know what? I will allow myself to be run over just because I don't want to be unloving. A couple times, Lord. I don't know if I can live like that, Lord. But we have to start somewhere. So the couple times is a, is a start. What punishment? Now, we know that punishment is to inflict a penalty. For an offense or a fault. <laughs> it is to handle severely or roughly as in a fight. Come full circle back to the self-persecution. That because. Just even what I just said, because I don't want to be unloving, maybe I'm all, maybe I'll go the opposite extreme and maybe to help me to become more like Jesus in this area maybe I will be a doormat and figure out how not to be a doormat eventually because I don't want to be unloving because I know what scripture says about being unloving I know what he says I'm a sounding uh, gong or a clanging cymbal that's not what I want to be I want to be something I don't want to be nothing in God's eyes if I don't have love I'm nothing those are things I don't want to be. So I'm going to punish my, myself. I'm going to say, okay, I'll let people walk over me for a little while. Don't, please don't be the one or two people who love me as one of your brothers in Christ. Um, let it be somebody out in the world, please. Um, <laughs> but I want, to, I want to be like him, so I don't mind. I don't mind persecuting myself. And this is what I what I, I love the way this area ends. So these 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 what 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 godly grief does? Godly grief is like a seed, and repentance is like a tree. And these these things that are produced is like the fruit, the earnestness, the eagerness to clear ourselves, the indignation, the fear, the longing, the zeal, the 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 punishment. All of those are they're the fruit. Of the seed of godly grief. 
Godly grief leads to salvation. Worldly grief doesn't. So we should, when we see an area like my area of love, we should evaluate whether, our, whether we have the right kind of repentance. Because there is a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. It's still grief. And it may produce some repentance, as we mentioned earlier, but it's not going to be Godward, and so it's not going to please him. The, the, the grief and the, repent, the repentance that pleases God includes the earnestness, includes the eagerness to clear, includes the indignation, the fear, the longing, the zeal, the punishment. And I told you that with, as it relates to myself and love, then I'm asking, like, Lord, what does this mean that I'm, that I'm having to keep addressing this issue? 2 Corinthians 7, 12, and 13 says, So I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness might be revealed to you in the sight of God. There is something about repenting in a with godly grief and having the repentance that leads to salvation without regret that show that is a an objective manifestation of us being children of God so we know that the scripture says that the spirit of God uh, bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God well acts of 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 repentance for the sake of God and remember by repentance I mean changing direction forsaking sin acts of of forsaking sin Toward God, that is an objective witness that you and I are, in fact, children of God. It reveals to us who we are. We see who we are. We see sometimes you can do things where you just, some, some, we've heard the phrase, man, he doesn't even know his own strength. Well, he just saw his own strength because he did something where he didn't know his own strength. And there it is. Boom. We can respond to things in ways in which we surprise ourselves. And we see that the, the grace of God is on us to such a degree that like we responded differently this time. And that person talked to me that way. And as Pastor Kurt says, the gangster in the basement is like, yo, my man, I can help you right now. And it's like, no, you can't help me right now. The spirit of God is going to help me right now. And all of us, it might be a different, it may not be a gangster, it might be something else in you, right? But when you, when you resist or when you repent, when, you, when you've changed, when you've turned from that thing and you're doing the opposite, then it shows you that, hey, God is at work in my life. God is at work in my life. And so if God is at work in your life, as, as the scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? So, so, so if God is for me, there is not a concern in the world that should move me off my block. Because pleasing him should be the most important thing to me. And I understand that in the moment of temptation, that it can be hard to be thinking like that. I'm one of the first people. I'm not thinking like that. I just want to please God. They cut me off. Almost endangered myself and endangered other people. Oh, man, but I want to be like Jesus. I'm not like that at that moment. I'm like, man, Lord, 
I'm not gonna tell y'all what I'm like. Just, y'all need to know what I'm like. But I don't wanna release anybody else to be like that, right? So I'm not gonna tell you. I'm trying to change in that area. I'm trying to pray for them people. That the police pull them over very quick. <laughs> but I'm not thinking in the moment of temptation like, oh man, I just wanna please Jesus right now. I'm thinking about the trigger. I'm thinking about the, 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 it pouring me right now. But because of the work of godly grief, I think it's possible to respond like, okay, Lord, right now I want to please you. Would you please help me? Because <laughs> part of me doesn't want to please you right now. But the earnestness, the eager to clear oneself, the indignation, the longing, the zeal, those can be at work to keep us. They can be at work to keep us so that we're producing a repentance that produces, that, that, that produces salvation without regret. So the regret is relinquished, I think, when we, when we participate in the in the, in, the, in the activity of change. When we participate in being sanctified, I believe that the, the spirit of God just helps us to know, well, yes, you may have done that, but that's not you. Meaning, and I don't mean that's not you, like you're not responsible. What I mean is that's not characteristic of you, right? If you read 1 John, you'll see how like everybody sins, right? But it's the one who practices sin who, who is not of God, right? It's not, it's not that, 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 that you don't sin at all. The book is written so you don't sin, but then it says, all right, so, but if you sin, right? So it's not that he's schizophrenic. He knows, he knows like, okay, man, you, it's going to be some sin. But then there are people who are committed to sin. The commitment to this sin, when we see the stronghold of commitment broken to a sin, then that's when we prove to ourselves, that's when we show ourselves how, how uh, our earnestness um, is revealed to us. And that, being delivered from that or that being that 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 resisting that former stronghold helps us to see that God is at work in me. And that should encourage us all. And it encouraged Paul. So even though I won't read the whole verse 13, but it says, therefore, we are confident. So Paul is confident because the, the Corinthian church, they were being confronted with false apostles who were saying, you know what? Paul is not a real apostle. So Paul, throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, he's defending his apostleship. He's not only defending like himself as an apostle, but in defending himself as an apostle, he's also defending his teaching. And so their response even to his teaching is evidence that they have, is evidence that, that the Lord is working with them in such a way that they have salvation. Because these false apostles are, well, False apostles. They're not real. Paul outlines his case and he kind of mixes in like how the Corinthians have responded to him as an apostle and that they are applying his teaching. Let me say this. Well, I'm going to go back. I'm going to say it in, in doing this. Verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Why does he not regret it? 
He doesn't regret it because salvation is at stake, and we're all about to go be beamed up to Star Trek. No, no. <laughs> but he doesn't regret it because salvation is at stake. If we say anything to you, because remember, we said, both of us said, Pastor Kirk Pastor said it, Hopefully you've been saying it to each other. <laughs> We're coming for you. We're coming for you. We're coming for our members because salvation is at stake. We're coming for our members because we want to make sure that everyone is presented to him mature. We're coming for our members because we want to be able to boast in you and hopefully you boast in us. Now, we're not above anything, so if we say anything that, that offends anyone along the way, please let us know. We're human beings. So are you. So we understand that you might say something in some way that, you know, we may have to bring to your attention. But we want to be serious about salvation around here. Right? And so we've had some heavy things happen in the church that have come to light over the past couple months. I would just like to thank you for your response. I would like to thank you that, I'm, that we're hearing that people are focused. I would like to thank you for whatever prayers you're praying. I'd like to thank you for your response to participating in core groups. All of these things, we can't make you do those things, but we, we, but we say like you need to do those things if you're here so that we are doing everything we can to become mature. As Pastor Kurt and I have talked, and I believe this and you'll hear this, at some point soon, um, God is preparing us to be in his presence forever. We're, we're, we're practicing that here. We're getting ready for that. Heaven would be hell for you if you're not prepared. Heaven would be hell for us if we're not prepared. We're preparing now. We're preparing now, and we will keep preparing and we'll do it together. For those who, hang, those who are all solid rock, we're, we're, we're doing that together. Right? We're doing that together. Let's pray before we take communion. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you that you don't leave us in our mess. And Lord, even when church life gets messy, thank you that there is recourse Thank you that you will forgive, Lord, those who come to you with godly grief. Thank you that you will bring us to you in your son, Jesus Christ, so that we will be able to stand, not in our own righteousness, but in his. Father, thank you. Thank you for the mercy and grace that you bestowed on us when you opened our eyes to see who Jesus is and you opened our hearts to say I'm going to I'm going to live for him I'm going to serve him I'm going to please him Father may we not fall asleep to our commitment may we apply ourselves to be more like him Lord, to be transformed, to change, 
from who we are apart from you to who we need to be is a process. And so there can be, there can be mess. There will be. But Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we don't have to stay a mess. We thank you that we can respond to your grace, which tells us that, yes, 1 John tells us this, 1 John 2, that you've written, he wrote the book so that we would not sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We want to be like him. We want every member of our church to be like him. Would you continue to make us like him? And would you help us to respond with earnestness, with eagerness to clear oneself, with indignation, fear, zeal, longing, punishment to anything that would separate us from becoming more like you. Father, we ask you this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to go ahead and take communion now because we wouldn't even have a mindset to serve God by the Spirit if it weren't for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who gave his body as punishment for sins he did not commit so that he could give a righteousness that we did not earn to us. So let's take the bread which represents his body, which was broken for us, and let's eat. And now let's take the juice which represents the blood of Christ shed for us and drink it. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. May your sacrifice not ever be familiar, so familiar to us that we minimize its impact on who we are. May we not uh, give ourselves credit for our transformation. Surely we must respond, but we thank you for your gift of repentance, for your word lets us know that repentance is a gift from you. And so, Father, we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you so much for understanding and knowing our, our weakness right now that we will send but, Lord, we want to sin as less as possible. And, Lord, when we do sin, we want, to, we want to put distance between that sin and us. We don't want to be characterized by anything but Jesus. We're on our way by your spirit, Lord. We're on our way to being like Jesus. And thank you that when he appears, <clears throat> thank you that we will be like him. Make us like him, Father, we pray. And help us as a community to make sure 
that we're all applying ourselves to be made like him. In his name, in Jesus' name we pray, and we thank you, Father. Amen. Well, you all have a wonderful week. Hey, we got a couple joints, though. We ain't taking none. All right. Okay. <laughs> I ain't mad. The game comes on at one. I'm just being. We do got a, we do have a few questions. First of all, let's, can we thank Pastor Mike for this message? I'm not sure if people realize how critical the distinction that he's making is. We, sometimes we know about sin and we think we got it figured out in terms of what we're supposed to think about it. But often there are sins that we all benefit from that we don't really want to um, grieve over. So thank you, bro. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. How would you, how, how does one determine when their repentance is not godly? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, that's... Um, Answer is um, probably not that hard. I think you have to look at the fruit of your actions after you repent to see whether or not that repentance is producing the fruit. That is, so, so John said this. Was it John? I think it was John. Could have been Jesus. I'm sorry right now, but um, I'm sure uh, you, someone knows. But um, when I think it was John, when people were baptized by John, um, he told them that they were to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, right? So the way they lived their life was supposed to be reflective of the reality that they were baptized because baptism represented a washing away of your sins and a rising up to, like, you, you, you're cleansed now, right? So you're going to walk in a newness of life, as the New Testament says. So I think if, 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 if I'm looking at myself and I, and I know that there are fruit, there is fruit that is in keeping with repentance. If I know that there is the fruit of the spirit, right? The fruit is the manifestation of what's inside, right? So, so I'm going to look at the fruit of my life and I'm going to see, is it different? And that can be hard. That can be like trying to watch yourself grow. Like nobody, nobody can do that. Be like, I mean, I'm not growing anymore, but like if I, when I was 12 or something, I wanted to grow spurts because all the girls was taller than us. And it's like, man, hey. I want to be a big boy, man, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that happened at about 14, 15. It's like, hey, what's y'all doing out there? But, but, as a, but you, you couldn't look at yourself grow. You see people you only see at the family reunion, and they'd be like, boy, you're getting so big, but you feel like you're like the same size, right? Um, so it can be hard to measure your own growth. That can be impossible without time. Time will help you. And without looking at the right thing. So some of what you can look at is how, what am I thinking about what I'm doing? Like, am I even like pausing to be like, okay, say like, I know none of y'all do this, but, but just say somebody cuts you off while you're driving. And you're used to either like uh, incorporating sign language or like blowing on your horn. Um, then... Maybe that, that, that could take a little bit of time to grow, right? What, what fruit of the spirit of that is, is a great question, right? But what if you began, if, what if you did that without any, any mindset, any like, any, I, I don't care, I just do that. Like everybody does that, I'm good with it. But then you did it, and it's like, man, I shouldn't be doing that. What fruit of the spirit is that? 
Ah, there's a little bit of growth. There is a little bit of growth. That's something to be encouraged by. That's something to sow to, right? That's something to say, you know, I need, I need more of that. Now, maybe how can I make that come on the front side of this, right? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't so understand that growth is a process. If you say like, hey, man, I don't know if I've ever had like any godly uh, repentance because uh, don't, don't, be, don't be totally discouraged. Harness that discouragement into those, what we've read today. But then take yourself and like begin to like look at yourself and say, you know what? If I do something a little different, that shows me that I'm, I can change a little bit. And then you keep sowing too, that little bit. And that little bit, just like, just, just think about from breast milk, those of us who didn't do birth from formula, so like now you eat steak, now you eat pork chops. Now you, that's a whole matriculation. It wasn't like fast, but it was consistent. So strive for consistency because you're not usually not going to get a big and this all done. So you're probably most of us are probably going to question like whether or not our repentance is godly or not. I know I have. Um, hopefully some of you have, since I didn't see anybody nod, but hopefully I'm, no. but, um, but, but I but I would but I would look at the fruit. But then I wouldn't be too discouraged by the fruit unless I didn't see anything. And then even if I didn't see anything, I would be like, okay, I don't see anything. So Lord, would you help me because I need it? So that's what I would do. I wouldn't stay there because the Spirit of God is with us to help us to change. And even just hearing this information and considering it for the first time, hopefully it's not your first time, but if it is for the first time. There is hope for change. And then if you need even more help, that's why you have your core groups. That's why you have your pastors. Man, we, we can help you. We, 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 we on that George, George W. Bush, like, no child left behind. All right, we, 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 we on that right there. Nobody left behind. That's, that's come on, baby. We, come, we got you. All right, I know you back there. Let's, let's get them. We're we not leaving anybody behind. So that's what we're here for. That's why we come in, because we want everyone to be able to stand before God with us and we're sure we'll have some regrets, but hopefully mostly it's like, Lord, thank you for bringing us through. Amen, good. Can I just add one thought, bro? Feel I, free. I, think, I think all of us should learn to ask this question, like, why am I grieving? Like, what am I sad about? Am I sad because I displease God or because other people will be disappointed in me if they find out or whatever it is? When it's godly grief, it's, it's a Psalm 51 against you and you only have our sin. I thought Mike pointed that out really well, that David sinned against a lot of people. But when it's a godly grief, I'm sad because I displeased the Lord. If it's I'm sad because my spouse or my friends or whatever are now going to be, or I'm embarrassed because I did, that's not godly grief. That's more about you and what other people think about you. When it's about God, it's like, man, Lord, I, I sinned against you, and that's what matters. A couple more joints in here. Uh, it says, as you said, it is so hard in the moment of temptation to even remember your priority of pleasing the Lord and growing in holiness. In your experience, if you keep praying for help in advance and praying for forgiveness afterwards, does that eventually help you stop sinning in the moment? It's a great question. That is a great question. So I'm going to assume that in that question, um, that's all that's happening. They're asking for help. 
and they're asking for forgiveness. I think if if that if that's not like producing the fruit that I think should that I want to happen in my life, then it's like okay, I need to strategically read scripture, like maybe to go after. So I mentioned love for me, right? So I'm strategically going after that, like okay, what does love look like? How does it manifest itself? And so I'm not just saying, am I loving? Like, do I feel a certain kind of way? But I'm going to scrutinize my actions, and I'm going to go after those, right? I'm going to go after. So if I'm irritable, <coughs> excuse me, if I'm irritable, then I'm going to go after. I'm going to try to figure out how that irritability is triggered and try to remove myself from that. But I know that doesn't change me just because I'm not triggered. But then I'm also going to attempt to... Um, you know, I'm going to read stuff about that have, have to do with joy um, because you can't be irritable and joyful at the same time. I haven't seen anybody, you know, except for really people who are insane maybe. Like they, they irritated but they smiling like that's just, no. Um, so, so, so I'm looking for a put on. I want to put off the irritability, but I need to put on something else in this place, right? So I'm going to look at what's, what's the fruit of the spirit that I can sow to so that I can be more proactive in that area. So I'm trying to increase my proactivity against. So I'm, the, you know, the, 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 heaven, the, 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 the um, kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So I'm, I'm about to try to punish that irritability. I'm, so I'm trying to go, so I would parse out where I am, like whatever that sin is or whatever those sins are, and then I just need to, I need to go after them. I need to exact spiritual revenge on them joints. I need to like go back, use my Landover history um, to go after it and to, and to just make sure it's not controlling me, but I'm controlling it. So I would increase my proactivity in godly things. I would be strategic in how I'm doing that. I would read specific passages um, that, that go after the thing. I would incorporate that, that in addition to like anything I already do. So if I already like read like how often you read in the morning or the evening, um, then I would go after that that sin in addition to that. I wouldn't stop what I'm doing. I would just try to increase. It would be that serious to me. That, that, that's what I would do. That's great. Next question. Does constantly remembering your sins classify as regret? That's a good question, too. You get them questions a day, bro. Yeah. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's it's oh it's uh, I think it's always like what am I I can remember anything, right? So I constantly so so it depends on how they're remembering it. So I would say that. I'll say that. So I would say like if I'm remembrance doesn't equal regret. Remembrance does not equal regret. Now it could be that um remembrance could equal regret, but I don't think it necessarily is a one to one. So in, in my answer that I'm trying to look up something right quick. Um, that was I didn't I don't know if I said. Uh, okay, no, I didn't do that. Yes. So a regret is a feeling of sorrow or remorse for a fault, act, loss, or disappointment. So I think it matters like how you interact with that remembrance, and I think that remembrance ha- should help you to look at the passage we read, particularly verse 11, and just be like, you know what, Lord, I'm going, it should, it should cause, it should cause, if it's 
godly regret, then it's going to cause you to go after it, I believe. It's not just remembering and regret aren't necessarily the same. Oh, I'm not going to assume that they're the same because some people don't. For some people, it's not, oh, yeah, I used to do this, and it's like, okay. Um, but, oh, I've done this, and it's okay. But if you're remembering it, and it's like, Lord, I'm never again. What it, like, that's regret, in my opinion. Last question. What's a practical way, or really, what are practical steps to put earnestness into our repentance? Yeah, that, so earnestness is similar to regret. It's a feeling of sorrow, remorse, or remorse for a fault, act, loss, disappointment. Or is showing, it's also another definition for it, is showing depth and sincerity, sincerity of feeling. So um, when it went in putting earnestness into effect, I think what it looks like or what it can look like, part of what it looks like is if I have a depth and sense. So, I rem so <laughs> when, when uh, I told y'all last year, you heard, last year, excuse me, last week, you heard part of my testimony. And so the next day, um, I had to tell my best friend, similar to what Mattel was saying, I had to tell him, like, I wasn't doing something today or, or in the future that week because I was walking with the Lord. So he invited me to a party, right? So for me, now, not all parties are, are terrible, but the types of parties I was going to at the time is like, man, that joint is not going to be good for me spiritually. I know what's going to be happening there. I know what I'm used to doing there. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to. Just, he didn't have to, hey, man, such and such. No, nah, I ain't going. Huh? He was surprised because the last time he talked to me, I was for everything. Right? So this is our first conversation after be, being, becoming a believer. And so he was like, oh, man, yeah, yeah. He's like, I, I was like, yeah, man, I got saved, man. He was like, Hey, man, I'm a Christian, too. And I was like, oh, no, 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 man, I'm not talking about like that. I'm talking about I'm walking with the Lord. Like, for real, man, I'm trying, I'm running for my life here, man. I'm not, like, trying to do that. So I think earnestness is, like, anything that's going to be a potential hindrance. It's like, I'm not doing that. That's one piece of it. And then everything that I can possibly do that will... Help me not to even have an appetite for that stuff. That's what I'm sowing to. So, so, so that's why in the old church you hear people be saying like, hey, man, you know, I thank God for saving me, man. You know what? Places I used to go, I don't go no more. People I used to hang with, I don't hang with. Them. What they saying? They say like, man, I did everything I could to reform myself from what I used to be because I'm not going back there. So part of it is, all right, man, if this is going to be spiritually detrimental, I'm not doing it. If it's going to be spiritually helpful, spiritually helpful. Some of the things Pastor Kerr said, even in, in, in uh, uh, right before the last, we sang the song, finishing in the last song, sermons, fellowship, worship at home, worship here, uh, core groups, like anything that just, anything that just puts me on spiritually, I'm trying to do that. Anything that puts me on a path to do Whatever it is that I need to be earnest about, then I'm like, nah, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm not doing that for my own good. I'm not, I'm not setting myself up. Like, that's the type of, you have to, that's how I talk to myself. So, so it's like, I'm not setting myself up. I mean, if something comes my way, then it comes my way. But I'm going to do all that I can 
to make sure I'm in a place where I'm not responding to the cravings that human beings have because I'm a human being. So I'm going to work against my own cravings. Again, strategically read scripture. I'm going to, you know, talk to people in my life who know me well and who I know I can trust. By trust, I mean they're going to speak to me scripturally. Not They're not going to, like, understand. They're not going to be understanding with my sin. I don't need me. I don't. I don't need anybody to be understanding of my sin. My wife can tell you. I, I will say, I did this for this, that, this, and this, but it was wrong. I can't defend what I did. Would you please forgive me for whatever it was I did? Because there's, there's not, there's not, there's not going to be like, oh well, yeah, yeah, we we understand why you did this or that. I don't, I don't think there's going to be that. I think that I think the Lord has given us the power to overcome, and sometimes we're just too casual with what He's given us. And so I think the earnestness means like pursuing everything I can to be like Christ. And I mentioned what some of those are, the sermons, the reading your Bible, the praying, the uh, praying throughout the day and the moment, um, fellowship. Um, and then it's not, it's, it's not tempting yourself. It's the wickedness or it's the, not the day Satan or it's, or it's whatever. It's, it's like whatever I have to do to not do what I'm tempted to do or what's presented to me, like I'm going to incorporate things that help me not to do those things. So I think that's what earnestness looks like. And if that person's a member here and I didn't answer that uh, clearly enough, please come see me. But I think it's, it's really, it's two things really, I think, summarizing. Pressing into everything and discarding anything. Anything that would not be earnest or that would set me up I'm not doing that. Anything that's going to put me hip to being like the Lord, I'm pressing into that. He said that was the last question. So you all have a great week. Um, I'm not going to pray for the skin. Uh, see, I'm, I'm all back in the day. I'm not going to pray for the commanders, but, man, may the Giants lose today. <laughs> God bless you. Please thank the people in the children's ministry. Check in with the Real 360. Encourage Mateo and all everybody, all right? Thank you. <laughs>